This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be looking at verse 11 this morning, Matthew chapter 6. We're in a series of studies in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And we're studying the Lord's Prayer right now. We'll be looking particularly at verse 11, but uh, for a sense of the context and the whole, we'll begin our reading in verse 7. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. Hear the word of the Lord. And when you pray, Jesus said to his disciples, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let us pray. Father, we come to your word this morning, and we come with thanksgiving, because here is a sure guide. Here is absolute truth given to us by you. Father, we thank you that this is not merely a record of people's religious experience, their searchings after God, but this is the book that you yourself wrote through the various people whom you chose and in whom you worked, that these words should be written down over a period of many centuries, by many, many different people, different circumstances, background, levels of education, and yet it is your word, it is your truth, inspired by your spirit, preserved for us till the present day. And Father, we pray as we come to it, we would acknowledge its authority, we would bow to its truth, and Lord, that your word would search us, and that your word would teach us and convict us where necessary, and feed our souls, for we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Give us this day our daily bread. As we come to this fourth petition in the Lord's Prayer, we come to a turning point in the Lord's Prayer. You recall the structure of the Lord's Prayer is fairly simple. It begins with a preface or an address, our Father in heaven which reminds us, teaches us certainly of the intimacy and the closeness we have with the Lord God of the universe to address him as our Father, and yet never forgetting that he is our Father in heaven, that he is the Holy One of Israel, that we don't come to him flippantly or irreverently or carelessly, but we are walking on holy ground 
when we come into the presence of our Lord. And yet we can approach Him. We can call Him Father. He, he is to us a Father. And He loves us. And He delights to have us come and spend time with Him in prayer. And so we address Him as our Father in Heaven. And then the petitions. And as we noted, the first three petitions are all Godward. They're all vertical. That is, they are all concerned with God's interests. We pray in the first petition, how would be your name? We're praying that God's name which represents his being, his character, his, who he is, that his name would be esteemed, that it would be treated as holy, certainly by us who love him and are his children, are his people, but even throughout the world, that we want the world to know our God. We want the world to honor him, to respect him, to treat his name with reverence because it is holy. Because he is holy. And so there is a passion in the heart of the Christian for the honor, the holiness, the reverence throughout the world that God deserves. Second petition follows it. Your kingdom come. We pray for the the kingdom of Christ in the world. And certainly God rules over the world whether people acknowledge his rule or not. He is sovereign over it. Jesus is king over this world whether anyone acknowledges or not. But what we're praying for here is that people would acknowledge it. That more and more those who are cut off from God because of their sin, those who don't know him, would be reconciled to God through the finished work of Christ. And brought by his grace into the kingdom of our Lord Jesus, of those who love him, who willingly bow to him and acknowledge him as their Lord, as well as trust in him as their Savior. And then we saw last time, we prayed your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we acknowledge that ultimately it is is God's will that we want done. The very essence of sin is putting our own will before that, in place of that, of, of God seeking his will in our own hearts, in our lives, seeking his will in our families, in our church, seeking that his will would be done throughout this world. And, and really, these three are all of a piece. They're all uh, interrelated, the honor of God's name, the desire for his kingdom and reign, uh, the desire to do his will. But then we come to the second three petitions here in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and these really are focused more on the horizontal. These petitions have to do with, with me, with you, with our needs, our concern for our own needs and the needs of those around us. And we will notice before we dig into this one, particularly the priority here, that in this pattern that Jesus gave us, the interests of God, his name, his kingdom, his will take precedence over our own. Now, I know in my own prayer life, and I suspect in yours too, that very often we tend to jump to the second category, my needs. Maybe those around me too, and then back to my needs. And we may forget entirely to adore God, to praise God, to pray for his kingdom, to pray for his will to be done in my life and those around me and throughout the world. And yet, according to the pattern that Jesus gives us, It's not stated, but I think certainly implied that those overarching kingdom concerns should be the first priority in prayer. Some of you uh, know that women are gathering uh, usually on Communion Sunday, the second Sunday of the month, uh, here in the church to to pray before the service. Kingdom-focused prayer. What does that mean? What that means is specifically prayer oriented toward these first three petitions. Praying for the kingdom. Praying for the honor of God in the world. Praying for his will 
to be done. Now, does that mean that in a pinch you can't just pray for God to help you? Maybe with something at work, maybe if you're taking a test, just praying for God to help you to remember. Do you have to go through and spend adequate time praying, praising Him, praying for His kingdom to come and all of that before you can pray your petitions? No. No. I mean, we don't want to make this a mechanical thing. But what it does mean is that at least sometimes in our praying, we ought to be praying for the honor of God's name. And we said last time, praying for the kingdom means praying for the spread of the gospel. That could be praying for me as I preach, praying for missionaries that we support, praying for a neighbor who is not a believer, needs to know the Lord, uh, those kinds of things. That at least some of our prayer ought to be consumed, ought to be taken up with God's interests as well as our own. Well, we do come to this second uh, set of petitions. And the first is, give us this day our daily bread. Now, it's kind of interesting as we move from praying about the name of God, praying about the kingdom of God, praying for the will of God, to something so ordinary, so mundane as our next meal. That's quite a jump, isn't it? Praying from these large, worldwide, cosmic concerns to praying for my next meal. Praying that next mealtime I would have something to eat. That tomorrow I'll have something to eat. Today I'll have something to eat. In fact, that was such a jarring transition that it has led some, especially early on, some students of Scripture to suggest that uh, maybe this should be allegorized. Maybe Jesus wasn't talking about literal bread here. In fact, Augustine said that bread here must refer to the invisible bread of the Word of God, the Scriptures. A spiritual feast, a spiritual meal from the Word, or it refers to the Lord's Supper. Jerome, translator of the old Latin Vulgate, the Vulgate translation in Latin, uh, translated the word here daily uh, by the adjective in English, super substantial. Uh, again, referring to Holy Communion, referring to the Lord's Supper. And Jesus couldn't possibly be talking about bread, so he must be talking about maybe the Word of God, the, the bread that feeds our souls. Maybe he's talking there about communion, bread, communion. It's got to be communion, right? So they allegorize it. Calvin's comment on all this all this spiritualizing, all this allegorizing, Calvin's comment is to the point, he said, this is exceedingly absurd. And he's right. I agree with him. Luther uh, saw bread here, certainly literally, but also symbolically, for everything necessary for the preservation of this life. Like food, certainly. A healthy body, good weather, house, home, wife, children, good government, and peace. Well, some of those may stretch beyond the necessities of life, but uh, Luther's got the point here, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Yes, I think Jesus is talking about bread. Jesus is talking about what we're going to eat. And so he comes down to something very mundane, very ordinary, but it's obviously very necessary. Well, as we look at this, this petition, I want to break it up into three parts just to organize our thoughts uh, around it. One, the pattern on which it's based. Two, the principle that lies behind it. And three, the position that it ought to cultivate in our hearts. First of all, then, the, the pattern on which it is based. Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now, the pattern behind that is the one that we read earlier from Exodus chapter 16. 
where God provides food for his people to eat. They're in the wilderness. If you do want to allegorize, spiritualize, you could say, okay, well, we're in the wilderness. We, too, are exiles. We, too, are wandering in the wilderness as Christians today. We are not at home. Our home is in heaven. Our home is with the Lord. Uh, We are sojourners, aliens in a foreign land, so to speak. Well, they were in the wilderness, and there was a lot of people. They were starting to get hungry, and they were complaining to Moses. And Moses... You could tell was getting a little bit irritated. It comes up the edge in his voice when he said, why are you complaining against us? Uh, but the Lord graciously, in response to their grumbling, provides for them. He provides meat in the evening, the quail, and he provided manna in the morning. And they would go out each day and they were to gather enough for that day. And if they tried to keep it to the next day, well, you know, who knows? It may not fall tomorrow. We might not have manna tomorrow. Maybe we should save a little bit. When they saved some, it bred worms and, and stank. Couldn't keep it. It went bad. It spoiled. Had to throw it out. So there was no keeping the manna from one day to the next. However, when they came to the sixth day, they were to collect twice as much. And they were to keep that over to the seventh day. And they were not to go out on the seventh day. They were to refrain. They were to rest from that labor and the manna would keep, it would provide them, it would see them through the seventh day until the first day then when they were able to go out again and find manna to feed them. Now, any number of lessons that we learn in that pattern, one is that of daily dependence on the Lord. Now, is there anything wrong in our day with freezing food, keeping it from one day to the next? No, of course not. But what God was teaching them was to trust him each day, that every day... He would provide for them every day he would meet their needs. For them to try to keep it over, say, from the second to the third day, was an expression of a lack of faith in the Lord's ability to provide for them each day. The other principle that we find here in that pattern is that of rest. They were not to worship the manna. They were not to be enslaved to the manna. They were not controlled by the manna. They served, they worshiped, they trusted in the Lord And that's why on the seventh day, they didn't go out and collect the manna. God gave them enough on the sixth day. It kept. They could refrain, rest from going out and having to gather it. And what they had, instead of going bad, kept from the sixth day to the seventh. So the seventh, they just enjoyed what they had. They didn't didn't have to go out and gather the manna. They had enough from the sixth day. The six days, in essence, provided enough to cover them on the seventh day. And certainly... Seventh day and the first day of the week in the New Covenant, the Christian Sabbath. Uh, the ideal there, the principle is that we do rest on Sunday. Well, I've got to earn a living. Well, do you not trust God to provide with the work of six days so that you can have one day off to rest and to worship Him? Well, that's what the Lord was teaching His people. Uh, that they ultimately did not serve the daily grind. They could afford to rest on the Lord's day, on the, on, in their case, on the seventh day, uh, and that God had provided enough so they could afford to rest and to trust in him. And so that's the pattern on which this is based. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, that's the pattern. Uh, the the, The provision of manna in the wilderness and trusting God to provide. Now, we come then to the principle that lies behind it, whether we're talking about the manna in the Old Testament or talking about this petition here in the New Testament and how it applies to us today. What is the principle here? Well, we could say there are several that that lie behind it, the principles that that undergird it. One, and this is almost so obvious as as to escape notice, 
One is the principle that God is concerned about your bodies. Very mundane, ordinary thing. But God is concerned for us, not just a soul, but a body. God created us as physical beings. Now, we certainly have a spiritual aspect, a soul, to our bodies that's not contained within our bodies as if we were some sort of shell, uh, but is integrated into our bodies, and yet we're more than a body, but we're not less than a body. We do have a body. Uh, God gave us a physical world in which to live. He gave us physical food to eat. When Jesus died, he died not only to redeem our souls, he died to redeem our bodies. And our bodies are laid to rest in Christ, to be raised up, reconstituted at Christ's return. And we will dwell in the new heavens and the new earth in a physical, glorified, resurrected body. So God cares about our bodies. This is why Paul could say to the Corinthians, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your body. You see, they were involved in sexual sin. And Paul addresses them. You know, it's not as though, as some were teaching wrongly, that your spirit, your soul is separate from your body, and what you do with your body really doesn't affect your soul, and it really doesn't matter. And he says, no, God cares about the body. God's redeemed your body. Glorify God with your body. God is concerned about our bodies, and he's concerned that our bodies have enough to eat. Again, very ordinary, very mundane, but a principle that lies here behind this passage. And so that Jesus, in these few, relatively few petitions that he gives us, one of them is that God would provide what we need for our bodies. God is concerned about our bodies. Another principle that underlies this is not just that God cares about our bodies, but confidence in the faithfulness of God. If we didn't think God was faithful, we wouldn't pray this prayer. If we didn't think God would hear it and respond to it, we wouldn't pray it. Jesus wouldn't have taught us to pray this, and yet he does, and we do trust and, and have confidence in the faithfulness of God. I love Psalm thirty-seven twenty-five. It says, I have been young, and now I am old. And that's not the part that I love, although I'm starting to sympathize with that. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. You see, the person who trusts in the Lord and calls on the Lord, provision is, is made there. And that, that's his observation, uh, is that God provides for his, his people. There's a, a sense of confidence that God is good in his faithfulness to provide for us, providing us, yes, with our next meal, literal bread, or maybe meat, or potatoes, or vegetables. But also, I think Luther is on to something, although he may have run a little bit far afield in his list there, but bread here, it certainly is literal, but I think also symbolic of those physical needs that we have in this world. Uh, certainly food, clothing, shelter. Remember, Paul said if we have these things with these, we will be content. Uh, those things that we need to live here in this world, those physical things that, that we need, and we trust in God to provide. Now, we also need to be careful because... Bread was a staple. Bread was a necessity. It was not a luxury. And Jesus is saying here that we are to pray that God would provide for us the necessities that we need. Now, if you want to pray for God to provide some luxury, I think it's okay to do that. 
But I think that's not covered by this petition that Jesus is giving here. Jesus is teaching us in confidence that God is faithful to look to him to provide those necessities that we need. Now, what is a necessity and a luxury is a point for debate. It seems that what in one generation was a luxury becomes a necessity or at least perceived necessity in the next. But you know the point. The point is clear that God is teaching us here to pray that he would provide the necessities that we need, even as Jesus said, our Father knows what we need before we ask him, but in confidence that he is faithful, we trust in him. Another principle that underlies this is persistence in prayer to God, to, pers- to persist uh, in praying to God. You know Jesus' teaching, perhaps, in Luke 18, of uh, the, the widow who kept uh, bothering the judge for justice, Uh, Jesus said, uh, the scriptures say, Jesus told this parable to teach us that we ought always to pray and not faint, not give up, not be easily turned aside. The point is not that God is reluctant, that we somehow got to twist his arm, spiritually speaking, but that if this unrighteous judge is willing to acquiesce to the, the persistent widow, how much more is our Father in heaven willing to give to provide for us when we come to him and when we ask? But it says Jesus taught that prayer to tell us that we ought always to pray and not give up, to persist. Well, that's certainly implied here in in the terminology. Give us this day our daily bread. Twice there. uh, It's mentioned each day. This is a prayer that is to be prayed daily. Because we're looking to the Lord to provide what we need today. Now, other passages in the Sermon on the Mount that we look at instruct us not to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough troubles of its own. We're trusting God as the Israelites did daily, on a day-by-day basis. And part of the problem we have is we do tend to borrow tomorrow's and next week's trouble and next month's trouble and worry about it now instead of trusting God for each Day doesn't mean we don't plan ahead, but it does mean that we live each day before the Lord and trust him to provide for us in each day. The word here that is translated our daily bread is an unusual word. It occurs here and in Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer and actually has been found partially half the word, but it seems to be this word in uh, some ancient uh, writing uh, with the idea of as it is here, basically, to give us today's necessity, or if you're praying it in the evening, tomorrow's necessity. Give me what I need for tomorrow. And so we're praying with this petition, not so much for the distant future, but for God's provision for me today. If it's in the evening, perhaps, for God's provision for me tomorrow. And, and we, like those Israelites, live in a daily walk with the Lord. We trust Him each day. We know He'll take care of next week. Uh, But we know and pray particularly for him to provide for us today. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, I don't know if this is original with him, with this little verse. Day by day, the manna fell. Oh, to learn this lesson well. As Christians, we live before God on a day-to-day basis. Every day we pray, Lord, provide what I need. And in terms particularly of financial or material provision. So, some of the principles that undergird this, uh, God's concern for the body, confidence that that God is faithful and he will provide. He knows our needs and he will meet our needs, uh, persisting in these prayers. Now, a couple of of things I would mention uh, in regard to this prayer. It doesn't mean that um, 
that we stop work, we quit our jobs and pray that God would provide and you know, look, look toward the sky for our next meal to fall from heaven. God uses means. He works through our work, through our endeavors, through our businesses, our jobs uh, to provide for us. It doesn't negate the use of these means that God otherwise has given. You know, Paul wrote rather sternly to the church in Thessalonica, if a man will not work, neither let him eat. Well, we do work. We trust God to provide jobs, to provide employment, to provide business, so that we are able to earn our daily bread, and yet all the while acknowledging that that's God's grace, that that's God's provision in blessing us in those endeavors. Doesn't diminish the need to provide for those who are poor. Well, God will provide for them, yes, perhaps so, but you may be his ordained means to bring that about. And so with those caveats, uh, we, we, we say that we, we pray trusting in God to provide and provide through means that he has appointed. Well, then the last thing that we need to look at here is the position that this ought to cultivate in our hearts. The Israelites were grumbling. They were complaining. They expressed a lack of faith in God's goodness, in God's presence, in God's uh, benevolence toward them. Our attitude should be quite different. It's not stated here, but I think certainly implied that our lives, along with trusting in the Lord, praying to the Lord, should be expressed by an attitude of thanksgiving for God's provision for us. God notices whether we give thanks to him or not. Remember when Jesus healed the ten lepers, and they, they are healed on the way to the priest, and only one of them comes back, and Jesus says what? He says, where are the other nine? Was no one found, weren't all ten healed? Was no one found to return and give thanks except this foreigner? Jesus noted, even though he healed them all, he noted that the other nine did not come back to give thanks. And so we need to be careful to give thanks to God daily, even as we pray to him, to give thanks to him for what he has provided. We often do that when we sit down to a meal. You know, when Jesus um, distributed the five barley loaves and two fish, it said that he, he gave thanks. Even before he had distributed the meal, to the crowds that were gathered, and certainly that's an opportune time to give thanks to God and acknowledge that it is God's provision. God notices our thanksgiving. Uh, God certainly deserves our thanksgiving. James 1.17, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Uh, every good meal, every meal that we enjoy, the food that we have, the homes that we have, the clothing we have, are good gifts from God. God deserves our thanksgiving because he has blessed us and we here uh, in the United States and we here gathered in this room. He has blessed us abundantly and certainly deserves our thanksgiving for the material provision, abundant material provision that he's given to us. But also God not only notices and not only deserves, he, he desires our thanksgiving. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, we looked at this actually last week, talking about God's will. What is God's will for us? Well, here's an express statement of God, what, what God desires for us. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God concerning you. What does God desire for you? What is his will for you? Well, as we saw last week, we're referring to this verse, part of that is God desires that you be a thankful person, that you be a person who is able to give thanks to God. There's, there's contentment, there's joy, there's thanksgiving. Uh, quite the opposite of that fearful, grumbling, complaining spirit that had 
come upon the Israelites in Exodus chapter 16. And so as we look at this petition, as we pray it weekly here, give us this day our daily bread. Once again, as with these other petitions, we see that we're saying a mouthful, uh, that we are united, we are descendants of those whom God provided the manna for, uh, that being the pattern that uh, we also uh, are taught here that uh, we are to daily come before God in prayer uh, and ask Him for those things that we need. And all along, uh, with an attitude of thanksgiving to God, who knows what we need before we ask it, and asking blesses us uh, in great abundance. And so let us give thanks to God. Be careful not to neglect to give thanks to God from whom every good, every perfect gift comes. Let's pray. Our Father, we certainly are made of the same clay that those Israelites were made of, and certainly, Lord, prone to become discontent, prone to grumble, prone to complain, prone to fail in trusting you. But Father, we thank you for your gracious provision, even when we don't ask, and Lord, how abundantly you meet our needs. But Lord, we pray that we would be people who are much before you, consciously, in our hearts and in our words, uh, asking for your provision for us for each day. Lord, we thank you that you are certainly concerned with the spread of the kingdom of Christ around the world, but you are also concerned that we, our families, our children, have enough to eat each day. We thank you for your loving and fatherly care. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.